Tonight's Bible reading is going to be from Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38, and that can be found on page 820 of the Pew Bibles. So that's Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. Then he called the, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Tonight, uh, this is the fourth service that we are celebrating God's goodness and thinking about uh, what God wants to do in and through this church for his glory. And the first thing I need to say is that the Church of Jesus Christ consists of people, not buildings. Some people have said, oh, you know, we're thinking about this building, what's so special about a building? Let me make it really clear at the beginning, the Church of Christ is about people, not buildings. The Bible says we are the people of God. We are the family of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are God's church and God lives in us. And that's great news. And what we want to remember is that the Lord Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus Christ is on a mission to build his church, to gather his people from all the nations of the earth to bring them into his church, his family. But he chooses to do his work through his people. That's you and me. And God has given us a vision here at Nawi Baptist Church, you may be visiting. It is to see lives transformed through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. We want men and women, boys and girls, to meet Jesus, to see how great and loving and glorious he is, to repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ, to be forgiven, to be made new, to have peace with God, to have that certain eternity, and then to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That's what we want. We want to see each individual in this place and all those people we come across to be changed by God. And it's good news, you see, for all of the nations. And uh, these important commands by Jesus, saying to his disciples, which drives our ministry here, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, don't stay, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's the word to go, to make disciples, to see people baptised and come to the relationship, and to people to be transformed, again, that transformed word, to be transformed and to be obedient. Acts 1.8 says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In other words, you will not do it in your own strength. I cannot do it in my own strength, but you will be my witnesses... In Orchard, in Jerusalem, the local area, in Judea and Samaria, the wider area for those disciples and to the ends of the earth. And friends, we are the ends of the earth right here. And God is calling us to reach the people in our community and other people in other nations. Buildings are simply tools to facilitate this great mission. The building is not the mission. The building is a tool to facilitate this great mission. It is a place to gather to worship, to pray, to hear God's word, to encourage each other, to train and to be equipped, to love, to reach out, so that we can go and be effective for Jesus in the community. 
Let me tell you, this church began in 1952 as a fellowship. It began as a fellowship, the way it works, you, you gather some people, you have a little fellowship. When you have enough members and you set yourself up properly, you are constituted as a church. So in 1954, you have the first building, guys. You like that? Would you like to meet in there? 1954, first building on the corner. It was small. It was a growing area. The area developed. The church grew and new facilities were built. But in 1992, this main auditorium was set on fire and was destroyed. You are sitting now where the building was destroyed. You can also see the pews, or at least the still part of the pews, still standing there. This is where we were. But you see, it wasn't simply that uh, it was destroyed. The next photograph shows God's encouragement, I think. The steeple on the top was falling over, and there's a rainbow in the back, and they use that image of the rainbow to say that God has a future for this church. And you see, the building was destroyed. The church building was destroyed, but the church continued because the church is the people of God. And by the grace of God, the church had built the hall where we play football in and run youth group. God had built the hall. So the church met in the hall for a period of time, two years to reopen this. In 1994, we had a new building opened. And that's what you remember before we did the, uh, the development. Almost 30 years ago, in 2014, we opened stage one, the extensions. That's the upper rooms there uh, alongside the hall. We extended the playtime room. We renovated and extended the kitchen, and we've been using those facilities. We paid off the loans on that facility in seven years due to your generosity, and so we owe nothing on that. By the way, uh, we also, in the last 26 years that I've been here, have bought two houses for the pastors, and we have paid those off. When I say we, we, the members have paid those off. So the church, as well as owning this facility, also owns two properties that two of the pastors live in. Today, well, that was the, photo, that was the big photograph back nine years ago in the hall. Today, in 2023, we opened the completely rebuilt foyer and the old radio station. In the next three months, as you've heard, new carpets, new individual seats, uh, to upgrade this facility right here. Despite COVID, despite increasing interest rates, despite the financial cost, we have moved ahead together in faith to see a facility developed that will be used by God for decades to come, to see lives transformed for the glory of God. We are today investing in the next generation and the next generation. This is not about my generation. I don't have long to live. I'm old now, right? But it's building facilities that can be used time and time again into the future. And so I want to uh, focus on five simple biblical principles today in light of that and where we're going. What does God want of us? The first thing I want to urge of you is to surrender completely to God and his purposes. Romans 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. In view of God's mercy, in view of the fact that Jesus died for you on the cross, in view of the fact that you are now justified by faith, you are 
there is no condemnation now for those in Christ Jesus. In view of the fact that the Holy Spirit has been poured into your life now and is starting to work on the inside out to transform you into the image of Jesus. In view of God's mercy that you have a secure eternity. In view of the fact that God never leaves you, never forsakes you. In view of all that Paul has talked about in Romans 1 to 11, he says, Now we Baptist church, give all of yourself to God, surrender to him. Let his will take place in your life. No longer your will, no longer my will, but God's will to take control of your life and to lead you forward. Absolute surrender to the good God who loves you. You ready for that? That's what God calls us to. Absolute surrender. Abraham Cooper, a leader from the past, said, There is not an inch of any sphere of life over which Jesus Christ does not say, Mine. You belong to him. You're purchased with the blood of Christ. Rick Warren puts it this way. There is a moment of surrender, I think, when you first become a Christian. But there is the practice of surrender, which is moment by moment and lifelong. The problem with a living sacrifice, unlike a dead sacrifice, is that it can crawl off the altar. Yes, God, I'm all yours. And then tomorrow, maybe I'm not all yours, God. Can I have part of my life back? Can I do what I want as opposed to your word and your truth? So sometimes you have to surrender 100 or 50 times a day. Why wouldn't you surrender to Jesus? Warren writes, surrendering your life is not a foolish emotional impulse, but a rational, intelligent act, the most responsible and sensible thing you can do with your life. I urge you today to surrender completely to him. Let God use your gifts and talents and resources and abilities to bring glory to his name, to see lives transformed, to make a difference throughout the nations of the earth. Not simply here, but throughout the nations. And friends, I remember a story I heard once about an encounter I had with, with someone that I'd spoken at a camp for. And, uh, and I realized that sometimes you will do something in Jesus' name and you'll never hear about the impact of your life in ministry. But heaven will tell the stories. I remember I met a, a girl, uh, must be an early um, young adult, and she saw me at a function and uh, she said, I said, my name's Angelo. And she went, Angelo? There aren't many Greek Christian Angelos around the place. And said, Grant Sunus. I said, that's the one. I said, I remember you. I said, it's interesting. So you came and spoke at a camp at my church. I was in year seven. After you preached the gospel, I gave my life to Jesus. He's been transforming my life for the last 10 years. I just wanted to say thank you. That gives you some courage to keep going, right? Encouragement. Let me tell you, when you serve Christ and you will sit in youth ministry, adult ministry, people are going on loving Jesus. Sometimes you'll know the impact of your life. Sometimes you'll never know. You'll end up in heaven and you will hear the stories of transformation. Use your gifts and abilities for God. Secondly, proclaim unashamedly. We have great news to share. We need to pass on this good news to others, don't we? You know, I'm a, you do know that I'm a bit of a soccer fan. Uh, if Manchester United have a win or if Sydney FC have a win, I like to tell people it's good news you share it. I, I'm, a, I'm a Dragon supporter as well, but there's not very much good news there. Um, so I stick to the other teams. And, uh, and you like to share good news, right? And uh, obviously ever since I... Uh, 
was blessed with a granddaughter. I just happen every so often to tell someone how pretty she is and look at this photograph, send videos to people. When you find something that is of good news, you can't help but speak about it. Amen? You want to tell people. We as Christians have the best news in the world of a saviour who loves us, who died for us. Share that with others. The Bible says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing better than that. We're rebels, we're going our own way, and he was willing to love us. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Don't be ashamed. Proclaim it unashamedly. Firstly, proclaim the gospel to yourself. Sometimes you'll need to tell yourself, Ange, God loves you. Your salvation is by grace, not by your works. Stop beating yourself. Come back to Jesus and find forgiveness. Sometimes we think we've messed up so badly, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves, that we are saved by grace and God loves us. We need to preach the gospel to each other. Sometimes I need to hear from you the good news of the gospel. You need to hear from me. You need to hear from each other. Remind each other of all God has done for you. We need to proclaim it locally and globally. We do it as we seek to make disciples in SRE classes, university ministry, kids clubs, youth groups. Robin tells me something like uh, almost 200 kids are booked in now for our holiday club. We got the Camp Tukley team going away on Saturday to serve uh, young children. We have creative craft, men's, women's events, radio, website, computer groups. We do it locally. And I counted up the number of families we support internationally. People who are on our mission support team and those that we have supported through May. 15 different family units serving across the nations. We are committed not simply to living in a nice, comfortable, renovated building here at Nawi. We are committed to sending out workers and finances and prayers and people to the nations of the earth to say, we stand with you in Lebanon, we stand with you in North Africa, we stand with you in Asia, wherever you happen to go, we stand with you uh, amongst the indigenous people of Australia. Wherever our workers go, we're with you because we are committed to take the gospel locally and globally. And friends, in February 2014, God gave us a vision. As we were agreeing to build stage one, we felt a conviction of God to start a Mandarin service. We started at the same time as so we borrowed a whole bunch of money. February 2024, next year, they celebrate 10 years as a congregation. I preach at it this afternoon, not in Mandarin, but in English with translation. And 60 or 70 people were here gathered who heard the good news of Christ. We are committed to preaching, but also we are committed to loving sacrificially. Friends, you and I know that it's not enough to preach. We have to love people. We have to do it in a gentle way, in a generous way, a way that says that people matter to God and we're just not dumping information on people. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We are called to this radical, other person-centered love as Jesus gave up his life for us. This is how we know what love is, John says. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 
And friends, that's what we do together as a church. We love one another and we love those around us. We put out something like four to 500 food hampers a year to needy people in the community who come for food. We build community through our home group ministry. If you're not in a home group, we want you to be in a group where you're learning and growing and caring for one another. We serve the local community through build, uh, community building events like Playtime. Where 50 or so, 60 different parents are coming on Monday and Wednesday and building relationships where they can hear about Jesus and find support. We go into aged care facilities and run services there for older folk who can't get out, can't get to churches. We run computer classes and do evangelism courses with them. But we serve the poor overseas as well through Baptist World Aid, for example. Hundreds of kids are sponsored through members of this church. And we want to see that increase so we can have a much more profound impact on the suffering in our world. Samaritan's Purse Operation Christmas Child, four to five hundred gift boxes to children around the globe who don't normally get a Christmas gift. But alongside a little gift, the message about Jesus. Our creative craft group, you may not know because they're much older than most of you guys, they raise money for charities every year. They don't simply gather and learn a craft and we go in and speak every two weeks, David and I, share about Jesus. They also raise funds for others. Bibles for the Persecuted Church Programme. Six to $7,000 a year. Last October, we raised $7,000 to purchase Bibles to go into the hands of our brothers and sisters in parts of the world where they are persecuted for the faith. We've got to love sacrificially. Friends, I have a, uh, an email that someone, one of my friends sent me. One of my friends mentors a pastor in Uganda. It goes, goes like this. Hi, guys. Had an early morning call from Amos in Uganda this morning. They had an attack by the Islamic rebels on a boarding school in their area. Over 40 killed and some teens taken to help carry the food taken from the school. Some of the women were assaulted, then burned. Amos sent photos and they were very confronting. Some of those killed were part of the new church movement in a Kasasi community. I feel a great grief for them all. The Uganda security forces are in pursuit of the perpetrators in an effort to rescue the children taken into Congo. I appreciate your prayer for them. See, sad. It's why we stand behind others in other parts of the world, our brothers and sisters. That's why we inform ourselves of what's going on because loving community, loving action is more than simply what we do here. We share that love widely. Live dangerously. When Jesus, he says, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself in other words, you are no longer number one, you've surrendered to God, and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Friends, this is radical teaching by Jesus. He is calling you to live dangerously. If you want to come to Christ and live a life of comfort, don't come to Christ. Christ does not call you to a life of prosperity and comfort. He calls you uh, to, a, to a cross. 
He calls you to uh, giving up your life for the cause of Christ, no matter what it costs you. He effectively says, I'm picking up a cross and I'm going all the way to my death. If you want to be my followers, come pick up your crosses, be willing even to suffer on my behalf, even to the point of death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian leader who died at the age of 39 under the Nazis. He spoke out against the Nazis in Germany, arrested, and they put him to death just before the end of the war. And he writes, as he considers what it was like to live for Christ in that community, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Die to self, put Christ first, live dangerously for Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Sometimes following Christ means you get persecuted. Other times you just suffer illness, accidents, even death in the cause of the gospel. I know when we had a, a team in Bali during the Bali bombing in 2001, some of you were here. And somebody went to the hospital and you could smell burnt skin of the people who had died. Some of our workers there chose to remain and serve, rather than coming back to Australia, chose to remain there and to keep serving and, and loving the people in a risky place. Maybe God's going to call you to a risky place. I mean, it's nice to have, by the way, some uh, former pastors from Nauru here. I invite, we've got the, the principal Mr. McBride and his wife, the uh, First Lady, Sam. <laughs> Brad and Victoria Hookham, Billy and Mel Tang, and uh, who did I forget? Oh, Millard and Joyce Lehman. I was going to tell a story about you, so. You know, I remember when they were in Lebanon and uh, a number of years ago, there was a war-torn situation. And, uh, and I remember the Australian government put on aeroplanes to bring back half of Lebanon back to Bankstown and Greenacre. And uh, plane after plane, right, we brought back all, all the brothers and sisters and all the locals, and uh, we said, Milad, will you come back? And he said, no, no, I, God has called us to stay here because if we run at the first time of danger or risk, what will the people think about us? Are we committed to them? Do we love them? Are we committed to the work of the gospel? Or will we run like everyone else? They stayed, like Ado stayed in Bali. Friends, sometimes, sometimes you need to get out, but sometimes you need to stay. Tim and Val serve in Central Asia, serving in a hospital. They're in their 70s. Val's had cancer, treatment for cancer, and yet still went back to serve the poor and take the gospel to the people in Central Asia. The Apostle Paul was shipwrecked, arrested, and beaten. And um, he kept preaching and teaching, whether it was in prison or out of prison, he kept telling people about the wonderful Saviour. And one of the stories that's impacted me most in this area of living dangerously, because you never know what will happen where. I mean, uh, some of you were on a short-term mission trip a, a few years ago to, to uh, Bali, weren't you? And Lombok? We don't want to talk about that trip very often. That was one disaster after another. It's risky when you go out on mission, you never know what's going to happen, but you don't know what's going to happen down the street when you have your car accident either, is it? 
Sometimes you need to follow Christ. But John Piper, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, tells the story of two older women, Ruby and Laura. They were killed in Cameroon, West Africa. Ruby was over 80, single all her life. She poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor and the sick. Laura, her friend, was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 herself. Picture this, two 80-year-olds, right? You know, the 11 o'clock congregation. Wandering around, you know, getting a little bit older. Some are healthy and fit, some not so much. These 80-year-old women are on the mission field in Cameroon. One day, though, as they were driving, the brakes failed. The car went off a cliff. They were both killed instantly. And John Piper asked his congregation, was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by one great passion, namely to be spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ, even two decades after most of the American counterparts had retired to throw away their lives on trifles? No, that is not a tragedy, he says. That is a glory. These lives were not wasted, and these lives were not lost. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it, Jesus says. Friends, at 61, I have to ask the question, and some people say to me, oh, when are you going to retire? And I laugh at them. Retire. With health and vitality, think I'm going to retire, and what, walk at Cronulla Beach every day? Once a week's enough, all right? I'm going to babysit my granddaughter every day? I'll let a mother look after her, right? There are things to do. There are people to reach. There's a mission that God has given us. Finally, pray passionately. Friends, as we live for the glory of God, we need to remember to pray passionately, to pray without ceasing, because we're engaged in a spiritual work. We cannot change people's lives. We cannot be effective unless God takes us and uses us. God hears our prayers and answers. I think a prayerless Christian, I love this quote, is like a bus driver trying to push his bus out of a rut because he doesn't know that Clark Kent is on board. We need to acknowledge God, talk to him. He will answer the, our prayers and he will get the glory. Devote yourselves to prayer, the Bible says. Being watchful and thankful. Devotion, to be devoted to prayer. Pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. We had a great time with our men's home group the other night discussing these verses. Talking about the people who had spoken the gospel to us and led us to Christ and trans helped to transform our lives. And how we need to be able to be praying for open doors for the message that God will give it to us. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now, never stop praying. With this in mind, always be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Prayer expresses our dependence upon God. Friends, we've just opened a foyer and most people will see the foyer. You won't think about the offices very much. I want you to pray about something. Because in those offices... It's going to be the labor room of prayer. 
in those offices, it's going to be the labor of studying the scriptures, knowing God better, sharing his truth more passionately and more creatively and more accurately than ever before. In those offices, we're going to be studying the scriptures. We're going to be writing Bible studies. We're going to be coming up with vision. We're going to be counseling those who are struggling with their faith. We're going to be preparing marriage preparation. We'll be comforting those who've lost loved ones. We'll be dealing with people with all types of mental health issues. Whatever it happens to be, it's going to happen in those places. Monday to, to Saturday, it's not going to happen in this hall, nor in that foyer. That foyer is going to be wasted. <laughs> Don't think about the foyer. It's good on Sunday. Hey, it's a great foyer. No, no, no. The work's happening out there and up in those offices where you pray. That as we meet with people, the Spirit of God will be in the place. As we call out to God, God will answer our prayers. And if you want to come and see us and talk to us, we can do it there. We can do it at a coffee shop too. See the the value of the places. In his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, John Piper talks about the crying need of the hour. And I need to hear this as much as anyone else. It says, God has given us prayer because Jesus has given us a mission. We're on this earth, listen to this, to press back the forces of darkness. And we are given access to headquarters by prayer to advance his cause. We have access, pick up the telephone, talk to God. We have direct access to him. When we try to run it into a civilian intercom to increase our conveniences, it stops working and our faith begins to falter. We have so domesticated prayer that for many of us, it is no longer what it was designed to be, a wartime walkie-talkie for the accomplishment of Christ's mission. The crying need of the hour is to put the churches on a wartime footing. Friends, we are called to give our lives completely to the cause of Christ. We need to call upon God for his power. Are you ready for the mission? Do you get up every morning, commit the day to God? Do you get up in the morning, say, Lord, let's go, spiritually alert. God, what are you going to do today? Who are you going to, whose life are you going to open up? God, who am I going to minister to today? Do you get up each morning praying that? Friends, the Church of Jesus Christ consists of people, not buildings. Buildings are helpful tools in the work of God. Let us surrender completely to God. Let us proclaim unashamedly. Let us love sacrificially. Let us live dangerously. Let us pray passionately. And through it all, that lives might be transformed and God glorified. Amen.